you're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad and I've arrived in Portumna in County Galway and Portumna has a, a long and illustrious history it's on the lower end of uh, like Alan Lockery, like the upper end of Loch Derg, the northern end of Loch Derg, a beautiful location where there's boating and an awful lot of history and I'm sitting in a beautiful little coffee shop in Portumna with John Joe Conwell and he has produced a tome and I have to call it a tome called Portumna a Galway parish by the Shannon and I wouldn't have thought it was possible to produce so much material from a rural Irish parish and we're looking at over 850 pages. John Joe first of all thanks a million for coming along for chat Thank you very much um, Portumna 850 pages how did you come up with that? Well in actual fact there were another uh, 60 pages in it but it would be, have to go into two volumes so I, I had to trim it down a little bit and did you could have another uh, <laughs> 500 pages if you wanted to okay uh, so, so it's it's a book that sets out the the parish's history right from the ice age so it's in 17 chapters dealing with various topics like religion education obviously the the famine we have a workhouse here in Portumna and of course most significantly Portumna Castle which was the seat of power of the Earls of Clan Rickard who crossed the Shannon from Munster in 1203 and, and were here until 1916 and the West Wake has the West Wake correct yes. attention to there. Correct, yes, 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 yeah, yeah. So you say the Ice Age, how could you get back to the Ice Age? I know the Escaria that runs across. Well, yes, but we also have offshoots of that here. For example, I live in a townland called Gurthanumra, which okay. means Field of the Ridge. Okay. And it's a ridge of sand deposited during that time by the retreating ice okay. uh, 10,000 years ago. So. What relevance has that to a book work like this? Like, if you're going to go back 10,000 years, have you been able to uncover relevant history or something? Well, that well of course, that's prehistory, but the topography of a place, any place, uh, for example, if you have ridges of sand, the type of soil you have here would determine the type of crops, which in turn, in turn would determine the types of community that would settle here. So, obviously, it's, it's, uh, this is a good farming area. Whereas you go to Connemara, it's a different landscape in West Galway. And therefore, you have a different, uh, you have a different um, population. Mainly, in that case, they are feeding off fishing or living off fishing, right, and so on. So the topography does have a bearing on the type of society that will eventually form there. And given that Loch Derg is south of Clonmacnoise, um, does that have any relevance? Well, of course it does. You see, the, the main highway to Ireland in olden times, the, the country was completely covered in forest. Either right. uh, in, in lime areas, it's Ash Ellen Beach, and in this area here, it's Oak, which is uh, lower, the, lower pH than 7. So therefore, you get Portumna's port of the Oak. But the only way through the middle of Ireland was the Shannon. So the Shannon was the M6 and the M7, if you like, through, right. through Middle Ireland, and that's why this area has been colonised by humans much earlier than other parts of the country, because they would have to beat their way through forests and so on. So all up along the Shannon, you get uh, early monastic settlement, uh, settlements. You get Clan Macnoise, 545. You get Lorro over here, 545. You get Clan Macnoise. Uh, you get Clan Perth, sorry, and right the way down to Scattery Island at the, at the head of the lake. But I've heard that the earliest Irish settlements would have been up in the Cape Fields and Mayo. Well, 
Well, they're the, only, they're the ones that have been discovered. So if okay. you actually it's in Derry, we get the first evidence of any sort of visitor at all. Okay. In the ashes of a, uh, of a fire there. Uh, but uh, the first settlers obviously were around the coast and up the rivers. Yeah. Cage of Fields, of course, is on the coast uh, yeah. in, in North Mayo. So then, how do you date or how do you arrive at a conclusion that the settlements along and up the Shannon would have probably been, or where would you put a time like? Well, of course, our, our first uh, our first people to come here didn't leave any evidence. They were hunter gatherers, so they went they went with the food. Indeed, that's how the game of hurling is thought to have come into existence because they used to fire missiles at birds in the trees for food, and then they found if they hurled them, uh, it was faster and more effective, provided they were of the standard, of course, that Joe Canning is <laughs> of that nature. <laughs> That's why there's a good hurling position in Galway. Well, maybe it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, in this section of County Galway, of course, North Galway uh, and Connemara, it's, it's mainly football. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They found you in their foot. Or, uh, well, they say the fields weren't big enough for, for slitters because they could drive it so far that they'd be lost. <laughs> That's where you get the expression beating the next parish home. <laughs> so then, if we move along a little in history and you start getting into what would have been organised agrarian groupings, yeah. would that have been the next logical Well, the, the next crowd we had here that didn't settle were the Vikings, and they used the Shannon to attack the monasteries. Right. Uh, but very quickly, probably the most successful uh, colonization we had were the Normans, and Portumna is a Norman town. The de Burgos okay. arrived, uh, as you know, uh, Strongbow came in 1169, and in 1185, King John came, established his base in Limerick, and he brought with him the de Burgos, and they were married into the O'Briens, and uh, acquired lots of land in Tipperary, and in 12 three they crossed into Connor and they made Loch Raid, the neighbouring town of Loch Raid, their headquarters and 300 years later, uh, that was in the 13th century, they moved their base of power to Portumna right on the upper end of Loch Derry which is as you described as the last of the three lakes on the, on the River Shannon and they were, they became powerful overlords then for uh, 700 years. Right. So then Portumna as a town, when would you trace, when would it have been formally established? Yeah, well, the, the, when, when Portumna Castle was built between 1610 and 1680, it would have been one of the most impressive houses at its time in Ireland with large windows and Renaissance gardens and so on, so that's what sets it apart. Uh, and then the street, what's called Old Main Street, one street <coughs> heading from the castle down to the River Shannon was established. Right. So that is a very, very early 17th century town. And then in the 19th century, uh, the 19th century we have the 14th Earl of Clan Richard uh, builds what's called, what's called the New Street and the Fair Green and then it became a really well established market town and the merchandise would be shipped out of here uh, on the Shannon. So if you were to say like uh, you mentioned Loch Ray, so time wise where would Fort Omna fit relative to the likes of Banlestore, Athlone and Athlone particularly then it was the next Shannon, well your Shannon Bridge yes. then Shannon uh, Athlone. Um, Communities tended to establish themselves at what would have been fords on the on the, on yes, the river. Yeah. So no, the, the initial Portumna wasn't one of those. As a matter of fact, what they had in Portumna, while they were living at La Ray, they had the, uh, a ferry operation here across the upper end of the lake. <coughs> and if you go across there, <coughs> you'll see two pubs. One is the ferry bar, and the other is the ferry inn. Right. Um, Indicating, and that's very early 14th century. 14th, from, once they crossed over, they used a, a ferry, and of course they had tolls on the ferry. So if you wanted to 
get across to Tipperary, you pay them your toll, or vice versa, coming the other way. Uh, but the, it didn't become a town on the river uh, until uh, the early years of the 17th century. They, they made a conscious decision, as the O'Briens did further down when they moved their base of power to Bunratty, right, from Lehman and places like that. Uh, so that was the conscious decision. So it wasn't as early as Athlone in that sense, that it was a, a, on the, Athlone established on the crossing point. Yes. Portumna is not actually on the river, it's near the river. It's, it's a good mile and a half, Portumna Castle, from the actual river. Okay. Uh, from the crossing point. And the crossing point itself, when would it have been developed as the crossing point? Well, the crossing point would be would be way, way back. I mean, when the first settlers were here, they, were, they would have been crossing at fording places. You get another one at Mealy, okay. further up the river, you get Portumna, and then you have nothing until you get down to Killaloo. Yeah. Uh, so they'd be very ancient, uh, the first... The first and and go the other direction, yeah. you didn't have much until you got to Lanesborough. That is true, yeah. And then farther up towards yeah. Carrick and Shannon, or mm-hmm. there were a few points along there. Okay, so then they, they uh, Clan Rickards, uh, as a family in the area, um, they established themselves when? They established themselves in Lahrain uh, in the early years of the 13th century, 1203, they came across 1205, uh, and from then onwards, so they brought in the religious orders as well, uh, the Carmelites came to Lahray, the Cartusians, which the only place in Ireland you'll find them were an abbey just up the road here, uh, Franciscans, Dominicans, they're, they're all here, thanks to the normal influence. And so they were hugely powerful and they were well connected. At one point in the 17th century, the 5th Earl of Clanrickard was Lord Deputy of Ireland, so what is little known is that Portumna, Ireland was run from Portumna for a short period until Cromwell came, and then they were pushed out and Cromwell took possession of Portumna Castle. Well, when you say uh, that they introduced the Carmelites and a variety of others, that's an implication that, that they were Catholic? Or well, they were Catholics, very yeah, much okay. so, yeah. As a matter of fact, it was a successful colonization in, in that sense, because very quickly they intermarried. It's an Anglo, Anglo-Norman. They came in in 1066 to England, then came across to Ireland by request, yes. uh, the feuding Irish, and um, and they started to integrate, uh, dress like the Irish, intermarry with the Irish, and of course, you know what happens when you intermarry with the Irish, when you came over. Big families. <laughs> came over. <laughs> so that's why England had such difficulty. The, uh, a colonization would melt into the into the Irish fabric and then they'd have to start again with the fresh. So then that's why you have the plantation of Leash Offaly, the plantation of Munster. And of course our latest, the la- and the hardest one to do, and much later than others, were Ulster. And that's why you probably have uh, what we call our, our northern problem maybe yeah, right. has, has a bit of a genesis there. Right. So then um, this area as well, uh, you talked in terms of Cromwell and of course uh, while Galway um, has bad land in the west and, and rough land, there's good land on the east side of Galway. Um, while Cromwell was round in your teller to Connacht and this is in Connacht, mm. uh, in some ways this was not suffering in the same way. And oh well it did, it did, Clan Rickard's lands were taken off them. Right. Uh, the old Madden's out there, they lost out. And if you notice, they brought in very strong Protestant families who were loyal to Cromwell. For example, the heirs of Airport got the better land in East Galway. Right. Well, I'm more implying that the people who would have been here, even though they were in Connacht, they were still being shoved to the oh, poor land. Well, they, they, they were being displaced to allow others to come in. For example, the Earl of Westmead got 14,000 acres just out the road here. Right. Some, uh, and some of the Clan uh, um, Rickard land. Right. You know. So um, then, um, as, as time went on, and um, 
influences changed. You said there was a period that Ireland was effectively been run from Fort Tumna. That that all changed. I should say, of course, that um, that the Henry VIII gave the de Burgos the title Earl of Clan Richard, family of Richard. Richard right. is the first guy who came out. Yeah. Right. So, um, moving along up to like the famine would have had a serious effect, and there's the National Workhouse Centre is, is here, and that's a tremendous resource. Yeah. Um, I, ha I have two chapters in my book: one on the famine generally, and one on Port on Portumna Workhouse. Right. Yeah. And the Portumna Workhouse, uh, it was drawing from a large catchment area. Well, Portumna Workhouse, the, the initial plan, of course, during the famine was to uh, by by an 1838 Act, the Porlo Act, of 1838. To the country in 130 divisions called unions yeah. and that was pre-famine that was just to deal with poverty and of course it, they were, the system wasn't long in operation when the famine arrived and at that stage uh, uh, prior to the famine our workhouse was in La Rey. and most people think the workhouse is our generated the workhouse are generated because of the famine that's not true uh, the first 130 were assigned uh, by as I say the 1838 Act and our one opened in 1842 in La Rey. There were very few going to it, but then the famine came. It was built for 800, and in 1848 there were up to 3,200, four mm -hmm. times more than there should be. And uh, the neighbouring one of La Rey, or Banlaslow, uh, same thing was happening. So, as a result of the huge numbers going into the workhouse, of course, disease followed. Mm -hmm. And the government's response was to build an additional 33. And Portumna is one of those. So in that sense, they could be called famine workhouses in, in the sense they were built for the famine. Right. And strangely enough, Portumna workhouse, and indeed a lot of others, Galway had, County Galway initially had six workhouses. Right. And then they got four additional ones. One at Portumna, one at Montpellier, one at Ucturars, and one at Glenamatic. Okay, and they're typically, they were built for 600. But they never reached that number. Matter of fact, my research there would show that the most there were ever in Portumna workhouse was 215. So to some extent, the latter group were white elephants. And the, but as I understand it, some of the reasoning for that was because the local landlord was the one who was meant to support it financially, and the landlords were not particularly anxious to have their funds going what, into... What, what was the problem was, where you had good land and we had good big leases, the tenants would pay the poor rate. One of the problems with the whole uh, poor law system was that they levied a rate on the union, so the poverty was not supported. From, from the exchequer, even though we had the Act of Union in 1800. There was no money coming from number 11, I think it is in Downing Street. Uh, so the, the, the attitude was that Irish property was to pay for Irish poverty. Yeah. Clan Rickard was a massive landowner here. He had 52,000 acres. And he and he was a member of Parliament. He was one of three Irish landlords sitting in the uh, cabinet during the famine. So he, had, he knew exactly what was happening and was generally considered to be representative of the voice of Ireland in terms of the famine. Right. Now, big lads like that, uh, himself and Palmerston and uh, Lord Lansdowne down in Kerry, they were wealthy enough to charter their own ships and move out the dead weight. Now, all tenants were obliged to pay for the support of the poor rate if their valuation was over four pounds. And a lot of the smaller tenancies, after 1843, the Brahindaf legislation, that anyone with a valuation less than four pounds, the landlord would pay it. Now, are now, we talking Griffith value? We are, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, that followed on 1856, but okay. that, that essentially was designed to levy the rate. So where was the, when was the, 
the valuation you're referring to then, who would have done that? Oh, that that, that was from a, a previous one. No, okay. I can't remember the actual guy. All right. uh, yeah. But anyway, they, they had a system, and you paid your poor rate. Uh, but the, there was a double whammy for the landlords because when the famine struck, the smaller tenants couldn't afford to pay the rent and couldn't afford to pay the rate. And they were in the workhouse, and they were dead weight, and the, and the landlord was paying for them. Yes. So they were paying for the lower ones, which was that's why the famine had its worst effects along the western seaboard. The worst being Skull down and, and then Kilroche and Gart yeah, and so Skibarina, on. Uh, I should say. Yeah. Uh, and all the way up to Donegal. So they, they were in appalling conditions there. Um, and th- that was essentially why. So Clanricker was constantly making the case at Cabinet that the West and the South cannot support this system. The poor, the poor law system does not operate. But it was handy for the English because they had introduced it themselves in 1834 right. to deal with English poverty, which was on a much, much smaller scale than what we had. Right. Um, so it was totally unsuited. And in that regard, he was right. Of course, his, his colleagues would think that he was trying to avoid having to pay, which you can argue for as well. So yeah. Yeah. So the typical poli- political thing <laughs> re-emerges again. It does. It does. Yeah. So then, um, moving, moving along to um, where we're at to some degree today, we're in a, a very historic town, but not a very prominent historic town from an external True. perspective. True, yes. As a matter of fact, of course, I'm from Mayo, next town, and I think it's only when you're an outsider that you can appreciate the wealth of stuff here. I mean, this this place sits on Loch Derrick. Yeah. It has huge, wonderful forest park. It has got a huge amount of things going for it, but yet it's unknown. So I know great efforts are being made to identify more than just, as you might have said, the, the Wild Atlantic Way and the Ancient East. Um, so I guess tourism Ireland are gradually developing. Yes, they were pointing. filling out the rest of the country gradually. Correct, yes. Yeah, I think there is an awareness now that there's a richness of heritage here that is a tourism asset, particularly uh, all around Loch Derg and indeed all up along the Shannon. Right. So the Shannon corridor is now becoming a plank of their policy, along with the other ones that I mentioned, the ancient east and the wild Atlantic way. Well, the challenge must be, you know, you go from Dublin to Galway and you're on the M6 or whatever it is, the M6 or 7, and um, as is, you fly past, now you'd fly past even Athlone, Banlaslow, Kilbegan and all these, so to be even that little bit farther south of that, the highway, it, it means that well, you have to work harder. I, I, I would take the view that we're actually, couldn't be in a better position road-wise because you're between, sandwiched between the M6 and the M7 and you can pop off at any point, which right. you couldn't have, couldn't have done, so it's, it's more accessible now than it has ever been before. But it, it also puts the pressure on you to create the awareness so marketing that people, is the, the market, yeah, so yeah. people want to get the, the other problem with our product is if you go to the, the Clips of Moore, for example, all you need is your camera. It's a visual experience. Right. Whereas here, you, you have it has to be interpreted for you. There's right. no point, for example, in going to Clanfert Doorway unless you have someone to interpret the various orders and so on. Right. And time like now, well, that has an interpretive center, but Portumna um, Castle is the same way, and the workhouse. So you, yeah. you need to be guided through those places to get the full effect. Mentioning the workhouse, when we were talking about workhouses and how they evolved, the National Workhouse uh, Center is here in Portumna. The, the Irish Workhouse Yeah, the Irish Workhouse. Yeah. Uh, so, <coughs> even though they were all along the West Coast, Portumna has been able to identify itself. It's, 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 the, it's the only one that tells the story of the Irish famine. Right. And we took it over as a volunteer group um, from the health board uh, almost 20 years ago, and we started pulling off the IBEN, getting various schemes to have somebody re-roof. So, we have two blocks now in operation. We have the uh, the girls' block and the, and the women's block, which uh, and the 
and the chapel and dining area that, that's open to the public and we have guided tours through that so it gives a it gives it in, in about an hour you get you get a clear interpretation yeah. of the Irish family and I did, I did a wonderful um, walk through a number of years ago mm. and that is up in my archives so if you're ever looking back there just do a search you'll find mm. a, a link and uh, we did a walk a full walk through that we recorded through the workhouse and it was fabulous and fascinating yes yeah it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very interesting when we do guided tours there especially people from abroad you'll often see tears coming down when they, when they get a sense of the conditions that prevailed in workhouses you know? right, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so then you mentioned that you know there, there are all the other resources so um, they, um, the castle or Clan Rickard's house that is now open to the public as well yeah with the first floor of it and uh, that's significant because it's the first of its type um, up to that you had what we call the tower house which was a, a very stern sort of a block five rooms one on top of the other built for defence very tiny windows and n nothing to embellish it whatsoever and, and, uh, and this and one I'll interject there because we're going to hear it be um, I have a wonderful um, show where I uh, got a tour of Dysterdale oh really yes and yes. Uh, a full explanation of the whole tower house yes yes so again if you look in the archives on that one you look for the name of um, Dick Cronin and uh, Dick was the one that provided me with that so yes, uh, yeah. on, on the Irish radio uh, uh, the, the website you'll find that there the Dwergos had about 121 tower houses across uh, across south and east Galway huge numbers and of course they were there also they, they were related to the Burks of Mayo say so the Burks of Tipperary the Burks of Galway who became Clan Rickards Burks of Tipperary became Clan William Burks of uh, Galway uh, became the Clan Rickards and the Burks of Mayo uh, stayed as Brooks, so they didn't get any title, but Mary Robinson, our former president, is one of those. Right, so they're, right. they're hugely influential uh, around the place. Yeah. yeah. So um, part of what you do then is, is um, given that the wealth of knowledge and the 850 pages between covers here, uh, there's obviously a huge knowledge in that head of yours, and you get called on by visitors to Indeed. engage. Well, and the other thing we do, and I was speaking last night, we are, we're running uh, an outreach local history course from UL in the workhouse. Okay. And uh, we started our third batch last night, uh, 16 adults, and we're having a great time. So they, the uh, second group got confirmed the other day. So it's it's wonderful to be able to carry that to to people who up to this didn't ha have much involvement with local history. Right. And throughout the, I know in Heritage Week you were probably run off your feet. Oh, yeah, as we are every week. I, I couldn't get here. Yeah. I would have loved to because I, I'm going to have to schedule when I come to Ireland that it's during Heritage week. Mm. There's so much going on, but I know you had a very full program. Oh, very full, yeah. yeah. We're all over the place. Uh, our people are everywhere, you know. Uh, and for the foreseeable future, uh, we'll be booked out. So it probably isn't a good time to, to be looking to talk to us, but, um, but at the same time, you're more than welcome. No. So the other thing then is, I noticed, and I'm recalling from the time I had the uh, tour of the workhouse, and there's a lot of community engagement there in that the facility encourages bringing in school kids very much so, yeah. engaging them and, and yeah, and of course it's it's, it's, run, it's run largely on a voluntary basis. We get small contributions and we depend a lot on donations. And right. I mean the whole the, the scale of work that has to be done yet uh, is huge, and we need huge investment there. But that won't happen overnight. Uh, it'll be a very gradual process. But it's, we believe it's something worth worth uh, worth doing. And um, there is renewed interest. Like we get lots of people from Australia because. Uh, the Earl Grey scheme and other schemes moved the orphan girls 
in workhouses and now we're finding their descendants are coming back to trace their ancestry right. and of course same in America but particularly uh, because the, the immigrants um, at that time all our uh, troublemakers before that were deported to Australia so there was, there was an imbalance of male to female so the well the females were also being sent to the Caribbean they were yes yes yeah yeah uh, so Jamaica uh, has Irish town outside there and yes they yeah. were literally being sent to sex slaves mm. well, Irish, of course yeah, yeah. shocking stuff yeah. Yeah. yeah so when you mentioned that this area of course has family uh, connections for me and I was conscious in some of the research I did that apparently one of my on my grandmother's side was born uh, Mar- uh, there was some connection with Bula Bula here yeah, yeah. what was yeah. the name uh, Kavna and I was looking in there for the Kavnas and I saw there was Kavnas in there yes yes yeah, um, yeah. and uh, I think there's a James in there and that might be it because I, I haven't worked back to here yet and apparently Cullohan is, is part of it that's well. another one of features so you'll have to come and spend a while here I know, I know I know it won't be this week I know I know I need to get to a point that when I come to somewhere like this that I can efficiently go to the appropriate parish or whatever and, and not spend the time researching but have the basic research done yes, so yes. that's effective to get the answer yes well that is the right way to do things of course so if someone like me is in that position and we're trying to connect the dots going back um, but before we get here is there a way to reach out to have some of that groundwork done well of course the ideal way is to, to get a copy of this book here and you'll, right. have a, you'll have the because I have all the headstones in there from the various symmetries in the, okay. uh, as an appendix right at the back right and and, and, um, and of course throughout it then you have listings of flax growers and so on um, Griffith valuation um, the tide plotment records from the work that was payable to the Protestant church with the Protestant community as well and still have right um, so they're, they're all listed there so that's um, so, um, so if someone is looking for this where do they get their hands on it well, if they if they want to email me, it's John Joe Conwell at gmail dot com. And spell that spell that out there so that they get the particularly the surname right. Yes, J O H N J O E C O N W E L L Conwell at gmail dot com, and right. I'll organise to have a copy sent to them. But it's 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 not available um, through any of the and kind of online. Not at, not at the moment. So not, it's, it's a job I have to do. Right. Um, and um, then, uh, do you have a website? I mean the process of doing a website at the moment okay. but, I, but I have a card uh, no no I'll give you one, no, yeah, no yeah. This is, but I'm just saying for yeah. someone and are you, can you be found on Facebook uh, no, no all of that I'm just starting on now once I, I the last five years working on that so okay. uh, so uh, you're, you're still on the black and white print going to press <laughs> rather than <laughs> virtual and yeah. so at least you've given us the email so someone knows where to find you yeah um, so then the other thing I know you do is that um, you act as a tour guide for people coming in not just in Fort but in other parts of the country as well. So oh, yes, if someone yes. wants to have a bespoke tour, in effect, you work with them to. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We can build the tours around. I do a lot of that. And I just, when this is over, I'm going off to take people around to trace the Omadans or visit the Omadan Tower House in the area here. But yeah, I do. We, we build a tour to suit uh, whatever, whatever they like to get, a, to get an interpretation. Because one of the problems we have is we don't have enough qualified people to accurately interpret. Our history is for a small country, we have a very. 
contorted type of history. It's a complex one, right. and it, it it needs interpretation to to make your visit all the more enjoyable and, and thorough, right. uh, rather than just a visual one like like photographing the cliffs and more or things like that. Yeah, no, but in that sense, so um, let's say I come to you and I say, okay, that the Kavanagh part of my family is for but he went to Mount Flat and he married into the ladies over there. Um, and um, but prior to the cabinets here, as I, said, I think it was Colohan's. Um, so I give you a certain amount of that information. Mm. Um, so I, 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 I'm not a genealogist now per no, se, no, but no. what I will do is uh, I will feed it out to other friends in our in our historical society right. and, our, and our connections. And, and, and it's 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 needle in the haystack stuff a no, lot of the time. But then I'm saying, so I'm going to come over, and when I come over, here's 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 my connection. Yes, yeah. So when I come over and uh, I devote a day or two and I say, can you mm. take can you help me when I get here? Yeah. Well, typically what I would ask people to do if they contact me is send on what you know, and we'll build on that then and see can we push it out a little bit further, right? Uh, so that when you come, you get the fullest possible experience. Right. That's the right. idea. <laughs> you know. So it's it's not just sit back and and we'll do it. Oh no, no, you know, no, no, yeah. um, Because the enjoyment is is for yourself to find out things as oh, well. What is that? Of course, there's that sense of connection. Of course, so yeah. then you'll be able to say, well, I've been able to trace, and this is where mm -hmm. the cabinets grew up. And yeah. here's the part. And if you can get local stories, of course, precisely. Yeah. 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 So that's part of what that's just very much what we do. Yeah. So then, how does someone hear about you? Well, I'm only starting now. I've just retired from uh, second level teaching here, so I'm just. Uh, you mentioned about the website and all that. That's the next project now. Get that up and get that up and running. Right. Actually, the ones I'm getting so far is word of mouth. So right. someone has gone back and said they had a great experience. I've taken them around Kerry, Cork, or wherever they want to go because it's a very small country. And in of course, way, in one way, in one way it is, and another way it isn't. I mean, we, what are we five and a half million? But we have 70 million people worldwide who claim Irish ancestry. I know, but I'm just thinking, like here, here I'm looking at 850 pages on a small parish. So, yes. yeah. so given the numbers, <laughs> and 850 oh, yeah. pages, well, there's lots of stuff. Yeah. There's, there's an encyclopedia, more oh, than an encyclopedia around this. There certainly is. Yeah, yeah. There's miles of stuff. Yeah. So to that extent, again, when you were teaching, of course, you, I, you weren't a history teacher. Right? Well, funnily enough, I wasn't. My degree is physics, and I taught biology and maths for 32 years, and only halfway through I developed an interest in local history, so I went off and did a master. So I'm studying for a PhD now on the, uh, the 15th Earl of Clan Richards, who was involved in the land war, troubling, troubling times around here. That's another, another. I have a chapter of that in there, but there's a lot more to be done on it, you know. And, and of course, in this country, as you say, it doesn't matter where you go, when you flip over a stone, there's a story to be told. Yeah. More than a story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of stories to be told. That's for so, sure. so the excitement at this stage, given that you have retired, in a way, you're, you're probably, are you more enthused now than you well, were it's when a, you were it's, a, it's a new beginning. It's a new, it's a new <laughs> beginning, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, but it's a lovely challenge, you know, and it's great. You know, the, the people you meet and see them fulfill either a, a search for their ancestors or whatever it happens to be, or just find out about the landscape or the general society and the type of livings that their ancestors would put in context for them is great, you know. So the other thing I have to comment upon about Fort Humble, I've just come in now and it's, it's a Grand South Day. Um, but Fort Humble is buzzing. And for a Thursday morning, we're sitting here in a coffee shop in the middle of Fort Humble on a Thursday morning. And there's a buzz about Fort Humble, which I, I, for, again, we're now in September. Mm -hmm. um, that I would have thought would not have been quite as much of a buzz. But what's well, the, the river is huge, of course, like there are here. 
the Roshan and there were uh, lots of boating around fishermen uh, and it's a very quiet place to sneak off to uh, and of course traditionally it has been a market town so people come in for what's, what's sustaining it now? Mainly tourism I would think uh, and of course the farming in the hinterland right. it's a good farming territory and uh, they're the main two things but there's, there's a lot more to be done in developing the potential of the tourism product right yeah right because when I say in conversion like you know I go to Bandeslow and it's on the south and they have a bit of, little bit of voting there but it's relatively quiet and mm-hmm. um, is a huge town relatively speaking but on a on a percentage basis I'd say there's nearly more of a buzz here yes yeah yeah and yeah. then I go over to Tullamore somewhere yeah which there's a bit of a buzz but again there's a vibrancy that I think just in the street yeah and it the other thing we have here is where with the out the road with equestrian centre one of the landed gentry houses converted to an equestrian centre that brings in people from Germany from Denmark from all over Sweden uh, all, all year round okay. uh, so they're in um, so they'll hop in here for a cup of coffee or whatever either before or after their, their excitement in a place right. called Flower Hill yeah right so well Janja we'll wrap up and before we do I'll get you to give your email address again so as that if anyone does okay. want to contact you they can if you, if you want to give a phone number feel free to I will do so. that too yeah. so where, where should they reach out yeah well as I say it's johnjoecanwell at gmail.com and my cell phone number is 87 296 and I look forward to hearing you Janjo thanks a million and we've been chatting with Janjo Conwell we're here uh, sitting in um, Cafe Rose Cafe Rose in downtown Port Tumna, and there is a great buzz so do visit here Bob. so thanks a million we're going to wrap up today's programme with the rendition of Galway Girl by Mike Denver who is out of Portumna. Hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening.